0: You know, I'm a great believer in us all using the gifts which God has given us. Um, Rob, singing is not one of my gifts. Maybe yours is not mine. Um, It is Anne's. Anne's quite a good singer, but God did not give me that gift, I'm afraid. So I suggest in the future if you uh, invite us over here, you don't ask me to stand up and sing. Oh, thank you. You're so encouraging. Do you know, I believe we should be an encouraging church, but uh, we also need to be a real church (laughs) as well. Um, Good to be here. Uh, I think Jez is a great guy. He and I are are great friends. Uh, I actually look back, there's a few of you here. We went to Romania a few years back, Jez and I, and uh, several of you uh, here, and we had a great time together. got to know each other really well then. But he asked me to speak on... Uh, speak into sort of family relationships and guarding our closest relationships and so what I'm going to be sharing this morning is a bit upon on on that whole area how important it is to keep our closest relationships secure and strong and for the majority of us that may be in the context of marriage or it may be in terms of our, our children or even you know as adults we've got parents and people we need to relate to and how important it is to guard some of those closest relationships. Now I just want to share a couple of stories really with you for a start. Earlier in the year Henry came up to me in Eastbourne with tears in his eyes and to tell me that after 27 years he had made contact with his son. Because of difficulties in his first marriage the relationship with his son broke down and over the years it got harder and harder to put right and for Henry, this was so hard because he didn't realize that he had a grandchild. He didn't realize that uh, he had a, a daughter-in-law, And so after 27 years, he felt, "I must make positive steps to restore what's been lost." And finally, after prayer and uh, you know really seeking God, a few months ago, he met up with his son after 27 years and the relationship was restored. Alex came up to me, uh, was chatting to me a couple of weeks ago. When we moved down to Eastbourne, I remember talking to Alex and he was saying, it's so hard, I've lost contact with, uh, or the relationship rather, with my daughters, has not been good. And then last week we were chatting he said, you know, my eldest daughter now, she's one of my best friends. Relationship had been restored. Over recent years, uh, we've actually had our highs and lows. We've had highs when we hear of marriages that we're on the brink of breakup and then the couple worked through the issues and were fully restored. And we've had loads, to be honest with you, where marriages have broken down. Yesterday, I was officiating at uh, a rededication of vows from a couple who had been together for 40 years. They hadn't been married for 40 years, but they're both 60 and they wanted this year to be a year of celebration. So celebrating 40 years of being together... And the fact that they're both 60 years old, and it was a wonderful celebration. It was was great, and I love celebrating long-term commitments where people have worked through relationships, not without the challenges, but yet continue to work through them. Sadly, last week, or a couple of weeks ago, I had this email from a, a pastoral leader in a church in Suffolk. I'm writing to you with deep concern as we're being challenged by many marriage splits, I'd appreciate your advice and any information or approaches you can provide on how we can instil in our congregation the importance of supporting marriage within the church. You know, sadly, broken relationships are, are all too familiar. So today I want to look at the importance of us guarding our closest relationships. And for you, that may be your marriage. It may be your relationship with your own children. Or as children, it may be your relationship with your parents. But all of us have, uh, have, uh, have got relationships which are close and dear to us. And it's, you know, those ones which tend to be the real challenge for us to work at because those that we, we have to uh, work through in, in daily life. So I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 21. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You know, relationship is actually at the very heart of God. God is not on his own. He's God three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the very center of God is this wonderful, intimate, perfect, harmonious relationship relationship. He's perfect and extravagant in his love. So out of his wonderful relationship with God he also overwhelms us with his love that we're drawn into this relationship with God. That's why we're made. You know his love overflows out of extravagance towards us and God exists in perfect harmony and unity within the Godhead. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. All understanding as it were, their roles and their purpose and how God has formed them, uh, has formed his relationship, that it should be one of perfect unity and harmony. And so when relationship is broken, uh, it grieves God because it's contrary to God's very nature. You know, God's nature is one of unity and perfection. And when relationship breaks down, it grieves God's heart. Uh, There was a time when all of us were out of relationship with God. And that's why the God, gospel is just so wonderful, because God has redeemed us and restored us. We are far from God, and then we're brought close. He's, he's made it possible through Christ for us to have a relationship with the one who created us. That is absolutely marvellous. And so God is at the very heart of restoring relationship. It's wonderful news. Nothing can separate us from God's love. When we're in Christ, nothing can separate us from his love. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. It's just a glorious truth that God loves us that much. It's all been done in Christ. So being in re- right relationship with God enables us to be in right relationship with one another. Relationship is so much at the heart of God. And I, I just want to make three points this morning and spend, I guess, most of the time in the last one as we look at some of the practicalities which Paul goes through here. It's just interesting, this sequence in this passage, that it starts with truth and then it goes down to the practicalities, the daily working out, husbands and wives, children, fathers. That's how uh, Paul sort of speaks. And, and you know, the gospel is very practical. It's how we work it out in daily relationships. So there's three things I just want to look at. The first is, I'd say, know who you are. Secondly, live by who you are. And thirdly, let's bring glory to God in who you are. So know who you are. If you look at this uh, this passage in Colossians, it's only in understanding who we are in Christ that we're able to ever live out the Christian life. Now I believe that over the summer you've been doing a series on being in Christ and when we know who we are in Christ that affects us and, and the very way we live. So if you look at uh, right the very First part of this passage in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know, that is who we are. We are God's chosen ones. We're holy and loved of God. You've been chosen by God. You're not a mistake. You're chosen. And he's chosen you irrespective of your circumstances, what you've done, where you've come from. He has chosen you. And it's a wonderful thing to know that we are chosen by God. It's God who's redeemed us. It's God who's restored us. God took the initiative to restore a relationship which is broken down. So when through our own sin we were separated from God, what did he do? He sent his son to restore us, to restore a relationship. And so now you are chosen. I am chosen. I'm a child of God. Total security. It's wonderful. It's who I am. And in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 28, Paul again says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, and that's certainly me, (laughs) according to worldly standards. Uh, It doesn't say not many of you were singers, but you could put that in there as well, uh, because I wasn't. Uh, Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak, in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. are. You know, some of you became Christians out of stable backgrounds. Wonderful. But others would have come from broken families, broken relationships. And there may be some here, even today, where you know that there are relationships which need to be restored and have been broken, but doesn't change the One iota the fact that God chose you, He chose you out of your circumstances to love you and for you to know that you're loved of God. He chose you, uh, in order to show and demonstrate His power in changing us and to turn, uh, turn uh, to change our circumstances as well. That's what God does. You know, before I became a Christian, I was incredibly insecure, low self image, uh. I was a kid at school who was bullied and all those sort of things. And then God came in and ch- changed me. He changed me out of the circumstances I was in and turned me around. Everything changed when God got a hold of me. So he declares us holy and blameless. We are made acceptable to him because of what Christ has done for us. And it's through Christ that we come. Now, now some of us disqualify ourselves before we've even begun, you know, comparing with others. God has chosen you from your situation and your circumstances. God chose you as you are in order that you might become what he wants you to be. And when we understand who we are, that we're chosen by God, that then helps us to understand that nothing is impossible for God in terms of restoration, in keeping our relationships secure and strong. God took the initiative, not us. When we strive to achieve, it's because we've forgotten who we are. Know who you are. You're a child of God. That's the first point. Secondly, live by who you are. You know, if we know who we are, and I'm sure you must have covered this in your series about being in Christ, if we know who we are, it so much helps us to live in the way that God wants us to be, to live by who we are. How we relate to God and to one another. It's how our relationships are worked out. You know, God takes people from every background and circumstances and he puts us together And he does that in order that he might bring glory to him, taking people from different circumstances, different social backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. And this is the glorious truth of the church, that we become one in Christ. Only through Christ can those things which have been broken be restored. Our togetherness togetherness, is not based upon common interest or background, but it's our unity in Christ. So going back to the very start of this chapter, this passage. it's really interesting to see what Paul says. The first thing he says is, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on love, which binds everything together. He, he, he keeps on using these words, put on. Uh, it's like it's something that we have to do. If you know who you are, then you put on what relates to who you are. Paul tells us to put on a whole list of these attributes. It's like putting on clothes. It's who you are, so you put on what you are, which is who you are. There's one thing guaranteed to upset Anne, and that's if I go back home this afternoon and I decide I want to cut the grass. And I go out and cut the grass with my best clothes on. And... I confess it has happened, because what happens, I get end up with torn clothes, I get caught in the rose bushes and tear my best shirt, she, she won't be very happy if I do that. Now, if I'm doing the garden, I ought to put on gardening clothes. Likewise, yesterday, when I was officiating at this uh, rededication of marriage vows, I don't think it'd been, I'd look very popular if I turned up in my gardening clothes. In fact, I, I said to Eve, I said, what's the, what's the, um, you know, the dress code? She says, Well, it needs to be smart. Don't want you coming in jeans. I mean it'd be inappropriate to go to a wedding, wouldn't it? In in gardening clothes. And I'm sure, John, when you're doing you're out working, you don't go out in your best suit. It would be inappropriate. I mean, can you imagine going to the hospital when you're you're ill and everyone's dressed up as butchers? You'd be a bit concerned. Or if they're dressed up as policemen. You know, if you're a doctor, you put on doctor's clothes. If you're a policeman, you put on policeman's clothes. And you have the right clothes in the right context. Therefore, when we know who we are, we put on that which represents who we are. As believers in Christ, as chosen men and women of God, we put on humility. We put on kindness. We put on love. It's an active thing that we do. Now, we need God's grace and help to do it, but it's something that we actively put on. We put on the clothes that are appropriate for what we are. As believers, our natural fit is how Paul describes us in these verses. It's natural. As believers, it should be natural that we are forgiving, that we are compassionate, that we are living together in meekness and patience and humility. That's what represents who we are as believers. It's, it's who we. Are. It's our, it should be our very nature. We're chosen. Now this is who you are. Now live is who you are, and you live it out by understanding this is how we are to be. How do we do it? Well, we can only do it by the grace of God and His help within us. So we need to live by who we are in Christ, chosen, put on. The clothes that fit. Don't, don't let's, let's live in contrary to who God has called us to be. Now the interesting thing about this passage is that it's just, it sort of you know, goes down into the practicalities. So the third point which I want to spend some time on is bringing glory to God in who you are and by that I mean it's in our circumstances. Okay. So it's great to come together on a Sunday morning like this and worship God. But it's worked out in day-to-day life. Our Christian lives actually are worked out in our circumstances when we go home, when we're with our kids, or when we're husband and wife together, or whatever circumstances we are. In fact, I could have gone on, because this passage also then goes down into Paul talking about, as you go beyond the verses I've mentioned, about slaves being obedient to their masters. So, it's actually every circumstance of life in which we're in, whether it's work, whether it's home, with family, whatever it is, God wants us to live out who we are. But it happens in the context of day-to-day life. So it's one thing to say, well, this is who I am, and this is what I live by, but it's quite another thing when you have to put it into practice. It's, we, we can sort of hide ourselves as to what things are really like. You know, you can't learn to bear with one another unless there are people who wind you up. It's just... Uh, If we were all—that's why, you know—God isn't on his tod, as Andrew Wilson would say. He's not on his own. He's together, and in the in the Godhead, you see this perfect harmony, and it's proven by how the the, the Godhead relates one to the other. And likewise, you see, it's impossible for me to say, "Yeah, of course I'm a humble person," or "Of course I'm meek." Of course I'm patient, unless I'm in circumstances which test my patience, or test my meekness, or test my pride. And my wife is very good at bringing me right down to earth. I'm so grateful to her because, you see, she knows what I'm really like. I can put on a great show this morning because you don't know what I'm really like. She does. So when I go home and uh, I, I start uh, you know, losing it or getting impatient because this isn't done or that's not done, I'm actually not really working out who I am. God puts me in a situation to work out who I am in, the pra- in practice. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's more to our lives than just saying that I'm a believer it's being the circumstances which change how we work it out so when we come to these verses we dial down into some of the detail God loves family it's at the very heart of the creative order man and woman united together and the Christian family is the best context in which children are to be raised it's in the family that you really know uh, what you're like. So as I say, I can impress you, but Anne knows what I'm really like. I can't, imp- I can't impress her. She knows what I'm like, whether what I say is how I live, whether I'm really patient. It's in, it's in the family that we learn to think of others and not just ourselves. And and whether you're married or whether you're single, whatever situation you're in, you are all in family circles or relationships, close relationships, where it, it's worked out in practice how we, we live our lives. So, I want to now home in on, on some of these specifics, and we'll, we'll start with marriage. You know, I think, uh, I don't know how we've got this reputation, but somehow in Kings, uh, we seem to be the ones who have talked about the marriage gurus. We're, uh, we're really not, we're just like anyone else. We've worked through things, but we've run the marriage course, and some of you have been on the marriage course here when we held it early in the year at Seaford. But nevertheless, uh, we are very committed to marriage because we believe it's God's purposes. And if we are married, God wants our marriages to be strong and healthy. So we look at verse 16. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Paul homes in on the areas where we are naturally weak. For wives, it may be in submission, for husbands, in loving. And it's at this point, it's so easy to be misunderstood when we talk about submission and wives being submissive. So, I do not feel qualified to speak on this subject, but I know someone who is. So, I've asked Anne just to come up and share just a few things on this. And so, if we've got the microphone, I can hand over to her. That'd be really helpful.
1: Being a pastor's wife, I've most probably been to more weddings than most of you have here. And uh, I can guarantee that when that there will be an audible gasp when it comes to this, um, when, uh, in the vows, where the woman says, I submit every wedding now. You can hear it. And so I just want to sort of work out, what does it actually mean? And that's not just for you, those of you who are married, but for, for those of you who would like to be married, perhaps in the future, you think, well, what does that actually mean? What does it really mean to submit to someone? And, uh, you know, to... Even those of you who are married here, you may still have a reaction to those words. So I've just been looking, who is our perfect example of this? Where's the perfect example in the Bible of people submitting one to another? And it is in the Godhead. The God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, perfect love, perfect righteousness, perfect peace, and perfect joy, where there is no fear. And that is our example where we look to for what this word submitting really means. Submitting to one another, in fact, um, is in that. It's in perfect love, preferring one another, securing one another, and releasing one another. And now that brings a completely different meaning to that word, doesn't it, when you look at it like that. And that's the example that we've been trying to follow all the years that we've been married, over the last 35 years... And we are certainly are not perfect, we fail time and time again, but that is what we would like to be. Submission is not about domination or shutting a partner out of your, your life. It's agreeing together, it's honouring each other, and no one should live in fear in a marriage. That fear should not exist at all. We all get this wrong frequently, Steve and I get this wrong frequently, But when tensions rise, we need to come back to that example of the Trinity and see where we're going wrong and be humble enough to apologize. It's very hard to say sorry, isn't it? It's one of those things that really sort of sticks in the throat. Some people are really good at it, but most people find it difficult. And why? Because it breaks strongholds. So we've got to be uh, humble enough to say we're sorry. Nearly all decisions in marriage are made jointly, or should be made jointly. And it's very rare where I've actually had to say to Steve that I'll submit to him. But there is one example that I can think of where I really had to do that. Um, Joel was about three months old. We have four children. The oldest was six and a half, and so they were all very young. And David Holden asked Steve who would come out full-time and work alongside him. Well, Steve had a very good paid job. Um, We didn't really have any financial worries. We were about to extend the house because Joel's medical needs were so high that we needed a separate room downstairs because he woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning and he was up for the rest of the day from 1 o'clock in the morning. So we needed a a room downstairs. I thought, oh, how is all this going to work? My life, it felt like my life had been turned upside down. Um, I was spending more time in hospitals than I was at home. Um, And it was just very demanding. And when Steve said, look, Dave's asked me to go full-time, what do you think? Can you pray about it and tell me what you think? It was one step too far for me. And I just said to him, look, Steve, I can't cope with any more change. I can't actually hear clearly because there's so much going on in my life. And I will submit to what you feel as long as I know it's been done before God with prayer. And that put all the responsibility back onto Steve's shoulders. <laughs> but for me at that time, it's very rare that I actually have to do that. We, we agree mainly with the decisions that we made. And uh, it certainly made Steve pray all the harder. So when you hear that word submission, and it, it sort of causes you to think about it, come back to what it really means. And for me, if submission is good enough for God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then it's certainly good enough for me.
0: And um, that's why immediately afterwards, Paul talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, because it was really kind of Anne to put that upon me to make the decision, but what actually it meant was I had to make sure that my motivation was one of love and not one of you, I want you to do this. And so it really did drive me to my knees, and I, I didn't make a decision. Try, like then and Then I had to really seek God and thought, God, I, jef- I, I do want your purposes, but I know I've got to love my wife. Look at what she's been through. And then God, I God gave me faith to believe that uh, as we take steps of faith, he would be with us and I could trust him in, in the process. And I knew that my motivation was out of love for her. But when you read this, this passage, husbands love your wives, yeah, that's fine, as Christ loved the church. <gasps> which means to lay down our lives for our wives. I mean, what greater love is there than the love that Christ has for us, that he laid down his life for us? It puts it in a totally different context. So we come back to verse 14 in this passage we're looking at in in Colossians 3. Above all, put on love. And what does that do? It says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The God has it bound together in perfect harmony because of the love of God exists. And then as I put on love, and I don't find that easy, because I'm, it, what, what does actually love mean? It means in action. It means thinking of my wife more than I'm thinking of myself. It means putting myself out for her. And I fail constantly. But with God's grace and help, he enables us to put on that which is enabled, helps us to, to, to love our wives. Husbands, if you love your wives like that, you will bind your relationship together in perfect harmony. It will be a delight, not only to you, but all to those who look on as well. John Piper is uh, one of my favourite Bible scholars, and I want to quote from what he says here. The most ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. Now we see how marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship to the church. And therefore, the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of marriage is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and his church on display. That is why marriage exists. If you are married, that is why you are married. So practically, how can we ensure that our relationship is enriched? Well, those who've been on the marriage course will know there's lots of practical things about date nights, communication, um, forgiving, not letting the sun go down in your anger, all those sort of things, lots of practical things. Um, But I just want to say, I said earlier that uh, people say, oh, you're the marriage gurus in in, in Kings. Well, no, as I say, we're not. There's nothing special about us at all. We've been married 35 years and it's been hard. Uh, We've had our challenges, as Anne's mentioned, in terms of family. And and things moving away, to be honest, moving down from from London to uh, to Kings, we moved down here four years ago. Was one of the hardest things for us to do because it meant leaving leaving family, and we didn't find it easy uh, leaving um, some family from uh, our kids, and that can bring heartache. But what what we found, it drives us to God, and when we see that God uses our circumstances to bring glory to Him. And in the situation which we are in, marriage is meant to bring glory to Christ. It's a picture of this Christ relationship with his church. In the same way as God overflows in extravagant love, our marriages need to be those which overflow in extravagant love. So it's not just an exclusive thing. It is an exclusive relationship, but it's one in which others want to be drawn into, which is why I love open homes. I know in the families who say, come on in. uh, that Yesterday was wonderful at this uh, rededication of vows because a couple who were rededicating their vows have raised their own four kids, but they fostered others and adopted. They've brought people in from unstable backgrounds into this stable relationship. And so the love of God is being expressed out of this marriage relationship. Why do we need to guard our marriages? We need to guard our marriages because it's a picture of Christ's love for his church. We need to guard our marriages because we want to draw others into this glorious hope that there is in Christ. Now, I just want to say a word here to those who may have experienced the pain of divorce. God is the one who restores. If you've suffered the pain, Jesus is the one who heals, redeems, and restores. And I know people who have suffered the pain of divorce and have seen God gloriously come in and bring them together into a wonderful relationship, uh, and um, you know uh, got remarried. I'm not. I don't believe that's God's ideal, which is why we're talking about. Re- you know, guarding our relationships right now. But if you've been through that pain, God is the one who restores, because God restores relationships. Now, just quickly moving on, verse 20, then goes down into uh, the whole thing of family. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children for, unless they become discouraged. Uh, Paul comes out with these wonderful one-liners. Children, obey your parents, right? That's it, done. Uh, do it, Simple. But in the same way as husbands and wives, it comes from a backdrop of knowing who we are and living by who we are. So it must be for our kids. How do kids obey? Well, they obey, if I can use that strong word, it comes out of a, a position of security and stability in family life. You know, if children to obey their parents, they need to know they're loved. And sadly, we live in a culture where there's a lack of that. Fathers who have neglected their children. Fathers who provoke their kids. But God wants us to, be, uh, to, to express something of his love where out of uh, an expression in love in a, in a family environment, kids long to be there. We, uh, as our kids were growing up, we used to, uh, when we would go on holiday, I don't know how it happened, but often we'd go on holiday and go into Eurocamp somewhere in France, something like that. And uh, we got on our way on holiday just to have a nice time, just the, the, the six of us. And suddenly we found we have got a whole load of hangers-on as well, as all these kids uh, hang on to us. And we thought, what's going on here? What? I, honestly, I don't say this to provoke, you know, promote ourselves. I say it because this is the natural thing. If we are believers and we know who we are, people will be attracted to us. And the, the other kids who were being, you know, the, the parents are saying, oh, just go off to the club and we don't want nothing to do with you. We've come for a holiday. They suddenly find we're gathering all these other children around us. That's what God wants our family life to be like as well, gathering and drawing, drawing in. Uh, Whether you're a single parent here or not, the principles remain the same. For those who are single mums, we could have substituted mothers for fathers. Don't discourage or provoke your children. How do we do that? Well, children, as I say, need lots of encouragement. If we're forever setting standards for them, do this, do that, without the love and grace to help them, then we come like the law. It's not how Christ loved us. So let's guard our family relationships. Let's guard our relationships with with our children as well. And this whole, chap- this whole chapter gives us uh, keys on how to do it. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I guess there's lots of families who ever think it's not very peaceful. This summer has been crazy. The kids have been running wild. I'm so pleased they're going back to school. and And circumstances can be so we know that we've had times like that we think this is crazy especially when the grandkids come down the house is absolute mess. Thank goodness they've gone home but um I, sometimes it doesn't feel very peaceful and everything around you and you, you've got all these demands how do we uh, enable us to overcome that let the peace of christ rule in your hearts and god gives us the tools to equip us if you're a parent god will equip you for the task um not peaceful, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's a heart thing. I used to, uh, I heard this story of a mother who said, I never get time alone with God. I've never got time where I can just uh, get alone and, and pray because it's so busy with all the kids around. And what she used to do is, she, the kids knew that if she went in the kitchen and put uh, a tea towel over her head and she bowed down, it's because she needed time with God. And just a, a few, as it were, near my quickies, God, come and help me. I need to know your peace. You know, it doesn't have to be all formal. It's living in the reality of what Christ has done for us. Again in verse 15, be thankful. Model thankfulness in the home to our children. Be thankful for our children. They're a gift. Sometimes I hate it when people say, oh, the kids wind me up. No, they're a gift. They're a gift of God. They're a delight. Let's be thankful for the children that God's given us. Verse 16, live by the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do we guide our relationships, our family relationships? Let the, uh, the word of Christ dwell in us. Let's live by it. And we encourage one another continually. Uh, the family is where we have our closest relationships. It's where we can grow in our knowledge of God, constantly talking about the things of God. I'd encourage you, as you go home today, those who've got kids at home, just talk about what, ha- what happened in kids' work today. What, what was God saying? Uh, let's constantly be encouraging one another and building one another up. And then verse 16, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, if you can't sing like me, you know, doesn't matter. God loves, loves to hear us sing. Let our, there's this wonderful sort of picture, really, of, of Christian life just being a joy and loving God's presence. We used, to, we used to put on CDs and things and jump and dance around the room just just having fun, very, very natural. Uh, our kids learnt to, I think, hear from God just by us enjoying God and just being very natural together, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Joel loves to, um, loves to worship and sing, and uh, he'll get his karaoke machine up when he gets home. I know God loves to hear him. <laughs> um, we like to hear him now and then as well, don't we, Joel? But... Uh, he may not be that tuneful, but God loves it. Let's not be worried about that. Let's just enjoy being together in, in, and encouraging one another. Prayer is exciting because we're involving God in our lives and teaching our children to trust him. Uh, as parents, we need to pray for our children and teach them to pray. You know, worship is a lifestyle. So look, I don't think I want to say any more, really, but I, I my prayer is that there aren't people here who... 27 years time saying I lost contact with my son or my daughter in the same way as Henry did or my marriage went through difficulties and it parted let us see that God has a real purpose for the relationships in which we find ourselves in our closest relationships whether it's in marriage or without children if you're a single parent or even if you're living on your own you know God has still got relationships which are close to us and we need to work at those. And you may be, there may be people here who you've lost contact, some of your closest family. I'd encourage you, let's guard them. Let's keep praying and believing God that he can bring uh, his glory to him in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. So in closing, let's know who we are. We're chosen of God. Let's live by that. Let's put on the clothes that God has given us. Humility, meekness, patience. And let's bring glory to God in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And that means when we go home, working it out in practice, day to day. And that's the best place you can work out your Christian life, the relationships that God's given you. Father to son, husband to wife, to parents. That's how God wants us to be. So perhaps if just the band can come up and we'll um, we'll close by uh, singing a song which... Bob has chosen and I think just as we do this for some of you you need to actively allow this to for God to affect you and to change how you live realizing that because he's chosen you he's given you all that you need it says in 1 Peter for life and godliness he enables you and equips you to be able to live out in your closest family relationships and and there may be some here who are struggling and I just want to pray that God gives you grace in the circumstances in which you find yourselves, that you can work at those relationships. So why don't we just stand as we come to sing, and I'd just love to, just to pray for us. Father, we thank you that in the Godhead exists perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the restorer of relationship. You've, once we were without hope, but you came into our lives, and you saved us, and you rescued us. And I want to ask you to, Lord, help us, each of us, in the situations which we find ourselves in, that we'll guard those closest relationships, knowing that you long to bring glory to your name through our circumstances. So I just ask, if there's any here who are struggling in any of those areas, God, come and help. You are the one who is able to change our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen.